Welcome back to the Tox News Podcast, your only source to Polygonawana land. the fact that probably because it's on streaming services is why my shit keeps getting flagged but uh it's a free album and uh, it's great it's better most than most of the shit that i've made just to intro this show so honestly uh, i'm gonna keep doing it regardless of how many videos they demonetize because it's not like i'm going to make money off of this shit anyways but we have quite the late and laborious labor day from me got off work hey hi hello how are you and you know it's a pretty slow it's a pretty slow labor day monday um it's quiet oddly not enough polarization going on i'm kind of suspicious but i did notice over the weekend that one of my favorites my one of my favorite rats crawled out of his cage or not his cage but his his dwellings i'm not really sure where he lives uh Attorney General William Barr. Oh boy, I get pretty excited when he comes out because he's he's a, he's a bit shadowy to me. He doesn't he doesn't pop out enough. But uh, somehow Wolf, Wolf Blitzer had him on there for a little bit. I don't know how he got twenty minutes out of the guy. Um, but what I think is good to get uh, into is did they change the title of this? Because I saw this segment this morning, and I thought it had something more to do with the... Oh, actually, I'm on the wrong video. Okay, so I have three videos to go. Look look at me. I've got my shit together. Alright. So we got William Barr, Department of Justice. We also have Labor Secretary... Uh, fucking, I don't... Uh, Eugene Scalia? Cool. Um, another worm that only pops out of the apple when he must, uh, feed on the souls of, uh, dead libs. I don't, okay, um, and then what was the other one? Who else came out of the word work? The, the right wing woodwork, not the right wing, but the Trump administration. They don't usually come out and speak for themselves very often. Trump usually handles most of the bulk of that load, and whatever he doesn't want to answer, he pushes on to Kaylee. Um, let's see here. Keep going down. Yes, check out my my history if you're seeing this on YouTube. Oh, yes. There he is, the lovely-faced Treasury Secretary Stephen. Joining us now, Treasury Secretary. The man of banks. The man of many banks. The king of foreclosures. Here, here, here to you. 
Um, so, I got these three coming out to speak to us. And why? Who, who, who gives a shit? Um, I just want a little tiny reminder to exist out in the, in the abyss that is American politics that uh, these three people are also running for re-election. These three people run the departments for which the Trump administration uses uh, their means to get their policies done. This is, these are the people, the heads of these departments. And for some reason, the three of them came out, I have no idea why, and decided to speak to the media. Barr, for some reason, is an interesting choice to me because I don't understand like how him going on left-wing news media works. Like, Does he plan it out at a certain time when he's like, okay, I feel like fighting with a lib, so I'm going to go on CNN or MSNBC in three months' time, schedule my appointment? Or does Wolf Blitzer reach out to him and does he instantly say yes or do they reschedule? I'm genuine, genuinely interested in his, like, thought process of he's like okay i'm going on wolf because it just doesn't seem like a comfortable setting for him you know to be challenged and that's i'm i feel like that's what you know cnn's gonna do a bit because they've critiqued trump so um if they were to not actually challenge anything that they said then i don't think that's a very good opposition but cnn's not (laughs) all right i got my own beefs with them but let's let's uh, get this fucking thing rolling. Let's begin with uh, Eugene Scalia and his uh, Labor Day speech here. Um, and if anybody doesn't know, apparently Labor Day is a day that the United States of America, the um, not the global hub of capitalism, but the big dick in the room, you know. Um, of capitalism, uh, decides to give everybody a day off, one day, and to just recognize all the efforts and, I guess, uh, uh, I don't know, production that workers have put into the United States and its development. It's the day to say, hey, you guys worked on it too. This is a project that involves all of us. Group hug. Oh, wait, social distancing. Shit. Um... But yeah, apparently we have this day where we celebrate workers, the working class, and I just find that really interesting because we don't actually take the time to go over the history of the working class, and I'm not going to be able to do that here. I'm not a historian. I'm not very smart. I just can listen to right-wing talking heads and filter them out for a little bit of sense. So if you want a little bit more information, I believe on podcast streaming stuffs, there's a podcast called Working Class History. Um, That's probably where you're going to want to go to understand better what kind of contributions the labor movements have contributed, whether it's through uh, workers' unions or other organizations. Uh, Go follow the IWW. I think it's Industrial Workers, uh, Worldwide Workers Party. Uh, they're not a party. See, and that's like how much I know. See, that's how much I know. But being on the working class, I think I need to get a bit better understanding of it. But fuck it. Uh, I'd rather actually hear what Man in Power has to say. So Man in Power, please take it away. Welcome back. This is Labor Day. Following months of a difficult downturn, things are finally starting to look up for the American worker as we celebrate. 
The economy adding 1.4 million jobs in August as the unemployment rate fell to its lowest level since the pandemic began, but with still millions unemployed. How is the administration planning to help out-of-work Americans? Well, let's bring in the Labor Secretary, Eugene Scalia. Mr. Secretary, happy Labor Day to you. Thanks for joining us. Happy Labor Day, Griff. Uh, great to join you. Let's talk about this August jobs gains, clearly recovering 1.4 million jobs. It looks like it's recovering 8.4%. What's your take on it and how significant is this? It's a really good report. It was a great way to head into Labor Day weekend for the American worker. Uh, as you say, 8.4% unemployment. Uh, the experts watching the job markets were saying we wouldn't get there maybe till late next year. 8.4%. Uh, is that even true? I don't know why I'm suspicious of that, like, one characteristic. Um, but, I mean, it's not necessarily anything to be proud of. Um, What's fascinating too here is trying to find, okay. So yeah, we had a spike of 14.7 million unemployment rate, or no, 14.7%, okay, my, my apologies. Um, that was at the height of the lockdown, April 2020. And as you can see, as the economy has reopened, some of those jobs have been recovered. I think one thing to notice here when he speaks of, uh, you know, we're getting back to work sooner than we thought. We just kind of have to remember that 50% of small businesses are remaining closed. 50% uh, of those that were closed during the pandemic, only 50%. Hmm. I hope that fact kind of gets brought up here because what we're seeing is, yeah, like there's some jobs that are available uh, for people to go back to work, right? There were businesses that were left alive for people to go back to work. This is a recovery. This isn't. Um, it, this isn't job creating. It's not actually prosperity. We took steps backward. We went from 4.4 percent to 14.7 in a matter of a month. I would say. Kind of looks like it. So we need to take that into consideration when we talk about how our job numbers are so good because an 8.4% unemployment is not normal. It's not okay. That's 8.4% 8 of Americans that are having a hard time paying bills right now. And that's just of the uh, workforce. This doesn't take into considerations of other people who maybe uh, haven't signed up for unemployment. Um, number of employees person. Yeah, so there's just there's a lot of factors to take in here, and you know, the 8.4 isn't exact, and it's not really anything to be proud of either. It's like oh, it's it's as low as it can be. Under the last administration, during the so-called Great Recession, our last economic downturn, it took 34 months nearly three years to get unemployment down under 8.5%. The president, the country, Oof. we've done it in four months. So it's a very strong trend. We've now added 10.6 million jobs. 
Yeah, but, like, that's two different circumstances. We closed down the economy and moved jobs um, before, like, massive shifts in, like, stimulus packages and other shifts of wealth moving around into the stock market and to the economy. Two different circumstances. Um, the other one was, like, a complete shortage of um, money and credit. Now, at this point, that, that this wasn't a... Uh, a crisis of money in, until it became one. Uh, hmm. uh, since April, we've got obviously more work to do, but we're making strong progress, uh, better than had been projected. You mentioned progress about a month ago. I remember you were saying, hey, it's too early to declare victory on jobs. If you just go into the industry gains a little bit, we'll just show you 249,000 in retail, business services almost 200,000, hospitality and leisure 174,000, education health services almost 150,000, and so forth. So, what I'm saying is the characterization of this as gains after suffering massive losses, it's recovery. It should be job recoveries in August because people, there's mass unemployment. These aren't like uh, new jobs created that people who, you know, that's that's in a time where like immigrants are benefits because there's more jobs available than there are citizens. So then, you know, you want immigrants coming in or something of, 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 of that nature. But at this point, because we have more people, more workers than we do jobs, I would say immigrating massive amount of people here would harm us, mainly because we don't have programs to even handle anything, nothing. We don't care about that. So I'm, I'm getting lost in the complexities again. I keep, that keeps happening. But remember, job gains in August, it's just a lie. It's job rec jobs recovered in August. Are you sort of uh, putting a more optimistic view of it now? I am optimistic. Uh you know, and that's the thing, too, about having an optimistic point of view is that um, you can see in half-empty glass is half-full. You can do it. You can do it. If you try hard enough, you can just make believe into optimism. Uh, when you look at where the gains were, they were really uh, widespread across industries. And, Griff, the other thing that I like is when I look where we still have jobs to add back, I see places where we ought to be able to do that in the next couple months. Uh, Health care is an industry that I've focused on because we're still down about 700,000 jobs from where we were in February. But those Why would health care jobs be down? We need a lot, but is it just because we don't have enough people trained? That's strange. Is it because nurses are getting sick? Why would healthcare really be healthcare unemployment? No, that's healthcare unemployment rate. I don't know. Um, healthcare job gains year to year have averaged 2.5%. <sighs> Industries at a glance. Uh, healthcare. All right. So May 8th, healthcare loses 1.4 million jobs in April as. Let's see, this is by modernhealthcare.com. Very interesting. Hmm. Healthcare loses 1.4 million jobs in April as unemployment rate hits 14.7%. But why would the unemployment, why would healthcare get it like that? 
Yeah, healthcare employment held re- remarkably steady during the Great Recession. That's what I'm like so confused about because during a health crisis, we need more healthcare than ever, right? So that like we should just be overflowing with too many people. There should be like tons of probably volunteers for certain shit, right? The healthcare industry lost 1.4 million jobs in April. Preliminary data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics show the numbers lay bare. COVID-19's economic damages businesses shuttered. Wait, this is a business problem? Healthcare is having a business problem? Why are we not talking? Okay, countless hospitals, clinics, and other providers have reported furloughing workers while they hold off on elective procedures in lieu of permanent layoffs? Are you fucking kidding me? For-profit tenant healthcare, for example, announced it had furloughed 500 full-time equivalent positions in... What the motherfuck? I get uh, that they have to recover their losses and pay their... Because it's a for-profit, so they have to pay off their stocks and fucking board members and all of that shit, but this is healthcare we're talking about. What? That's gnarly. They did see a massive drop. That's... It's crazy. It is so crazy. I don't even understand how this happened it wasn't just healthcare how how okay so are the 1.4 million jobs in healthcare like merely in the for-profit healthcare business or wow wow that's broken that that is broken um i'm surprised we did not like i don't know how our hospitals are really looking right now to be honest with you because there's i would have to go out of my way to find reports and shit like that but uh, I, I do remember around that time that people were talking about, nurses were talking about how overwhelmed they are. And I feel like probably still to this day there's not enough PPE. I don't know why much of that has changed. I just feel like we've talked, we've completely moved for, away from that, that issue. It's uh, mail-in voting, Joe Biden, and BLM. I don't... <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I'm completely against uh, for-profit private health care even more now. Cool. Those are jobs that are so important. That's a growing sector of the economy. So I see growing more sector room to the economy. Uh, put more Americans back to work in the in the months ahead, right. although it's important as well to help those who, who remain out of work. Sure. You know, it's you know what growing sector in the economy means it means opportunity for investors. You know what opportunity for investors sometimes means it means major cutting costs shaving as much money as as unnecessary spending as you can so that those profits soar through the motherfucking roof i am i'm grossed out i'm really grossed out because like he is literally just saying it right in front of our faces and it's a slap fuck fox news man god damn it and there are millions of americans suffering what is the administration trying to do as soon as tomorrow this week next week to help them well, one of the reasons that I think we're coming back quickly now is a series of decisions the president has made in the course of this year, beginning, by the way, with the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. I'm traveling to Wisconsin today with the vice president. It's a wonderful way to spend Labor Day. And that is a state that will benefit from that historic trade agreement uh, replacing NAFTA. There were also the really important uh, relief measures the president took. How is that going to help the health care workers? He's not even answering the question. Did he even ask that question like that? Let me see. 
let's go back to his question. Make sure we're we're on we're on schedule here. Although it's important as well to help those who who remain out of work. Sure, and there are millions of Americans suffering. What is the administration trying to do as soon as tomorrow, this week, next week, to help them? Okay, well, so I mean that that question was vague enough. Um, I thought maybe like it was a connected question to the healthcare workers, but apparently it's just to help suffering Americans. What are, what are you going to do this week? Because it's pretty fucking serious. Um, and what we're going to hear him talk about is a trade deal. Like we're going to benefit from a trade deal. Bitch, please. Like we're not going to be the benefits. The no working class is going to be the benefit of it. Um, if you have like a big agricultural farming job, you're in massive debt. You don't even own your fucking tractor. I'm uh, no, no, and I don't. All right, I really hope that they even have the bill out there because the. This guy is a. F mm. I'm really just trying to refrain from being an asshole, but like assholes just bring it out of me. Oh, look at it. This is how we write bills these days, bro. Jeez. Yeah, so just a, I found a quick point here, and I'm pretty sure I heard both the fifth column cover this. Um, it says, creating a more level playing field for American workers, including improved rules of origin for automobiles, trucks, other products, and disciplines on currency manipulation. Um, wow, that has a lot to do with China, which I thought we were going to talk about. U.S., Canada, Mexico, but um, the whole American workers, including improved rules for of or origin for automobiles, other products. Um, there's a stipulation in there that says, um, "What the fuck did it say?" That like the U.S. like if they had um, manufacture like car manufacturers down in Mexico, which they do currently. Not sure who. But please do your own research. Don't just fucking listen to me. But Trump's bill ended up raising the minimum wage for those jobs, saying we will not accept tr uh, imports from manufacturers who do not pay their employees this much. And inadvertently, they've raised the wages for the employees. And the, the manufacturing jobs stay there. And the morality increased for the employees, avoiding probably future strikes because they, they weren't getting paid enough and now they're getting paid like that's it i i just he like accidentally ended up helping the working class of citizens in another country i love it that's awesome i wish he, he would do that for us but um, it says benefiting American farmers, ranchers, and agribusiness by modernizing and strengthening food and agriculture trade in North America. This is all a jumble of uh, boggle. It's just throwing words that people are going to like, especially if you live in rural areas. But here's the thing is that most of our food, uh, a lot, majority, it's grown in South America. Um, so we're just kind of renegotiating our trade deals while we continue to import more food. Our amount of farms in America is dwindling pretty fast. 
So, uh, food for thought. Yeah, this like the 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 agreement highlights on here is literally just all propaganda. Um, all right, so it's yeah, it was signed. <laughs> it was signed on November thirtieth, twenty eighteen. I yeah, I like I said, it already benefited car manufacturing workers in Mexico. So this guy is saying that it's gonna benefit people after they go to their fucking meeting. Dude, this bill's been active for like two years. If they ain't benefiting from it now, they ain't gonna benefit from it. <laughs> One of the reasons that I think we're coming back quickly now is a series of decisions the president has made in the course of this year, beginning, by the way, with the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. I'm traveling to Wisconsin today with the vice president. It's a wonderful way to spend Labor Day. And that is a state that will benefit from that historic trade agreement uh, replacing NAFTA. There were also the when? really important... Uh, relief measures the president took on a bipartisan basis with Congress uh, in March. One of those was unemployment relief. And as you know, uh, that he said, what are you going to do to help Americans? And this guy said, we did something in March. We gave them all $1,200 back in March. Where's our praise? Where is our praise? That expired in July. The president, his team, uh, sought oh, to get yeah. an extension with Congress, and they just wouldn't. Oh yeah, and then we're supposed to applaud um, Trump for shooting out an executive order, even though he couldn't get his own fucking Senate to get the damn job done. Like, where is Mike Pence? Right? Uh, it's Mike Pence's job to make sure that bills get passed through, and uh, it's. I, Trump probably didn't have any negotiation in those. He, it's like, whatever the GOP wants, whatever they want. <laughs> Bro. He signed that executive order with $200 less than uh, the people were originally making. Check this. Uh, um, because it's an executive order, um, states have to opt in. They have to opt in into this option to uh, pay citizens that extended amount, right? The $400. But they also have to pay a quarter of that from state revenue. So Trump did pretty sneaky sneaky there. A little sneaky sneaky. Deal on it. Uh, right. And we still have a stalemate there. Now, what the president did was he said, if Congress is not going to help me, let's find a way. And so there was a message to his team. Let's find a way to support Americans who remain on unemployment. But Mr. And, and the president Mr. stood up this new program with FEMA giving uh, unemployment benefits to right. uh, Americans. When I mean, we will literally ejaculate like two trillion dollars into the stock market and just spend as little as we can on working class families. When Congress would not. Mr. Secretary, just in the time we've got left, though, I want to ask you why. I mean, the administration seems very open, saying over the weekend they want to do some sort of short-term uh, package. Why won't Speaker Pelosi and the Democrats come to the table with you? I, I and I feel like, you know, if I go to CNN, we're going to hear, why won't the Republicans figure this out? As far as I can see it, we have a completely ineffective government in a time of uh, mass death, mass evictions. Fuck. Mm. Massive polarization. And um, they suck. They suck. Um, they suck so much. I hate the two-party system. I am, I am so mad at this point. 
I can speak for the president, who is determined to get Americans back to work, help those who are unemployed in the meantime. I do get the impression at times that the Democratic leadership in Congress is not uh, focused right now on doing what's best for the country at this moment. Yeah, he took kind of a neutral thing there. You know, he didn't really get ad hominem on them or even say that they're really um, what specifically they're doing to stonewall the money that Americans desperately need right now. But um, he did say, well, Democrats suck. Uh, Scalia out. Or Scalise. No, Scalia. I was right. All right. Fuck off, Eugene. Thank you for toxifying my mind. Now, bless the heavens and the hell below them. We have Mnuchin to weigh in on reaching an informal deal with Pelosi to avoid shutdown. It's like it all hinges on just Pelosi. That's fucking funny, man. They just, they really need a pariah to just, like, piss and shit on. All right. Very Steven Mnuchin. Mr. Secretary, thanks. Welcome back to Fox News Sunday. Thanks, Brett. It's great to be with you. I'd like to start with where the coronavirus stimulus bill, the next iteration, stands in the negotiations as of right now. Well, Brett, the president and I couldn't be more pleased with the way the economic plan is working. We've injected $3 trillion into the economy. People thought we'd get 20 Did I say $2 trillion? I meant 3 25% unemployment. Fortunately, it never came close to that. We're down, down to 8.4. But the president and I believe we should do more stimulus. We have about 7. I, I hate, too, that we're, like, acknowledging, like, we went from 14.7 unemployment to 8.4. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. Um, we also went from, like, 10,000 dead people to, like, almost 200,000. So... You know, just, you know, there's two sides to every coin, at least. But, you know, with politics, you're looking at, like, hundred-sided dies. There's just so many pots of... Ugh. One and a half million jobs that we need to get back until we're back to where we were. And we want to help small businesses. We want to help small uh, businesses. businesses that are particularly impacted by this. And we'll Feed continue to work businesses. on proposed new legislation. So what's the sticking point? Look at man. He didn't even acknowledge it. Like, if I know that 50% of businesses, small businesses that closed during lockdown, 50% of them remained closed. 100% of small businesses went to lockdown, 50% closed permanently. Why aren't we talking about that? Why is that not an issue for Mnuchin? Is it because, well, you know, the market solves everything, right? Speaker Pelosi want this? That's why we got to inject $3 trillion well, into I, I it. I think, you know, uh, in my discussions with the Speaker, where we're really stuck is both on certain policy issues, but more importantly on the top line. Uh, the Speaker has refused to sit down and negotiate unless we agree to something like a $2.5 trillion deal in advance. And, Brett, as you know, we put $3 trillion into the economy when the economy was completely shut down. We've now reopened the economy. Well, let's let's do a more targeted bill now. If we need to do more in 30 days, we'll continue to do more. But So is he saying that he's not willing to meet with Pelosi because he's not willing to... Uh, even accept... I mean... It just sounds like he's making the Democrats sound like if they don't get this two and a half trillion dollars, there's no deal whatsoever. And I feel like 
there's probably some room here where you can be like, okay, two and a half trillion dollars sounds good to me, but where is this exactly going? It just sounds like nobody is interested in actually discussing how to distribute our fucking money. Let me remind you that. Our fucking money. Corporations pay, what, 20% now? So government revenue is all on us, baby. Alright? So, if it's all on us, we pay most of the government's revenue, then we need a guy who's going to come up here and tell us exactly why we can't agree on where our money should go. Because I think there's one thing most people will agree on, is that everybody could benefit from the stimulus checks. But we might want to focus it in on the people who really need it and then begin to build programs to help people further on beyond just giving them money. Maybe even giving them job skill training. Who the fuck knows? There's so many possibilities other than bickering and arguing about what the fuck are we going to do with two and a half trillion dollars, three and a half trillion dollars. We fucking made up money, dude. We're just making it up and just throwing it around. Fuck it. Let's not hold up the American workers and American businesses that need more support. So on the logistics, we'll send anything that literally like helps people. Oh, it's too expensive. But like as soon as like it's just time to help the economy, they're just like pump it. Just fuck pump it with as much as it needs. Just pump it. And the Republicans move a, a so-called skinny bill next week. I'd like to call it a more targeted bill, not a skinny <laughs> bill. But yes, our, our expectation is we'll move forward with that next week. What exactly did you next agree week. with? The oh, my God. They went on recess for like the Senate went on recess up until what, tomorrow? And it's been like a week and a half, two weeks almost. These motherfuckers saying that they're going to get a skinny bill next week. Oh, my God. Speaker like, on government funding. Well, I the can't. good news, Brett, is the speaker and I have agreed. We both don't want to see a government shut down. And so then this. Oh, my God. If they don't agree on another fucking raising the debt ceiling, we could see another government shutdown. The last one we had was the longest in history. And it's just both both sides blaming each other. That guy won't listen to me. No, you won't listen to me. Bro, our government sucks. Donkey elephant nut balls chocolate i don't know it's bad dude it's really bad and we have such an ineffective government that like is it really that radical to think that we should just replace it with like just replace the political parties like just completely ban anybody who's like i'm a republican or i'm a democrat and just like allow more political parties to come in as many as we can and just you know, let God sort them out, bro. I, like, at this point, I can't take the two-party system of them every time, not being able to come to terms and then lie to us about who is stonewalling who, because people need help right now. It's gross. I, it's a gross game. We are going to do a clean CR. We'll do this separately you, from the, the CARES Act negotiations. Uh, we're having the appropriations <sighs> staff, the four corners, really? meet and go through some specific details on it. But the good news is we've agree agreed on a clean CR, and, and I hope by the end of the week we can begin moving forward with that because that, that's important to the American people. CR continue By the end of the week, we can get that done because it's, Ameri it's important to the American people. As soon as the Senate comes back from Labor Day weekend, how long would that government <laughs> funding extension last? Through election day? Some other timeline? 
We haven't agreed on the specific details, but my expectation it would be through the beginning of December. That's what we did this year. We had one through December. We then needed another one into the beginning of next year, and then, and then we had final appropriations. So for now, the most important thing is to make sure at the end of the month we don't shut down the government and we get something past the election. You know, Mr. Secretary, there has been some vocal criticism from Republicans oh about God. you negotiating, saying, in essence, that you're giving away the store. The president's joked that he doesn't know whether you're a Democrat or Republican. Here's the Wall Street Journal editorial board. Republicans in the age of Donald Trump don't know what they stand for on economics. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin is a Keynesian whose idea of compromise is half of whatever Mrs. Pelosi wants, saying it's a down payment on her election agenda. Nice. Uh, your reaction to that criticism, nice. and would it be better to bring the president... Nice. Um, saying that he worked with Democrats too much and that makes him weak. Good. Good. This is a healthy democracy. We we are we are in a good place as a country. President, yes. in have him get everybody in the Oval good. Office and good. and try to hammer out a deal. Well, Brett, let me first say I don't, I don't take the Wall Street Journal editorials personally. Sometimes they have good things to say, and sometimes it's nonsense, like this case. As I've <laughs> said before, I. I... <laughs> it's what a totally normal person says. Like it's either a good story about me or it's nonsense. Okay, shoo, get out of here. I don't agree to anything that I don't review with the president. I speak to the president daily. Our economic plan got us back to an extraordinary reopening of the economy. And the president wanted us to move forward with $3 trillion of spending. That's what we did. It's helped an enormous amount of American businesses and American workers. And the answer is the president constantly has not only his economic team in the Oval Office, but now Mark Meadows and I have been on the phone with Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans every single day. Mark and I obviously speak to Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans in the House. But let me be clear, any legislation requires bipartisan support. We couldn't be more proud. The last two bills in the Senate, 100 to 0 and 96 to 0. So uh, I find that anything other than complete bipartisan support from both sides. So you're saying it's totally possible, but we're just fucking killing time. I don't I don't understand. They were they they were significantly quicker on the last bill, but why is this one taking so long? Is has anything really significantly changed other than the fact that billionaires don't need any more fucking money? Most experts looked at Friday's latest jobs report as positive, as you mentioned, strong, beating expectations. Here's how the former vice president characterized it Friday though. The report reinforces the worst fears and painful truths. The economic inequities that began before the downturn have only worsened under this failed presidency. I, yeah, I do want to remind people that like our trade deficit was uh, anticipated to rise significantly under Trump, and then also we were already anticipating a recession due to Trump's uh, 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 tax cuts back in 2017 so a recession was going to happen regardless but it reached like near great depression levels because of the pandemic when the crisis started we all hoped for a few months of a shutdown would be followed by a rapid economic turnaround no one thought they'd lose their job for good your reaction to that well, the, the former vice president and the former president had one of the longest economic recessions that we've had. Uh, under President Trump, we had the lowest unemployment we've had. You know, what's funny, though, is that they, I'm, I, I hate to say it, um, they, they inherited 
the economy from Republican George H.W. Bush Jr. and uh, the Dick Cheney administration. So to say that Obama and Biden managed the longest running recession right after a Republican administration just left office, I think that actually gives a good amount of points to Obama and Biden for being able to hold up the country when it was supposed to actually crumble and just fucking turn to dust, which we're seeing happen this election cycle. Mazel tov. All right. We've had the best economy we've ever had. And to no fault of any American businesses, the president made the very difficult decision to shut down the entire U.S. economy because of this terrible COVID disease. Now, the good news is we've reopened it. So, uh, again, let me just say, people thought we'd have... Nearly 200,000 deaths. We have been experiencing two 9-11s a week. I think for the past month month and a half have 30 40 million people unemployed we never did that because of the bipartisan support putting money into the economy we're now down to 8.4 percent and the president's going to get it back down to three or four percent where it was before all of this uh in the beginning of next year when he's reelected. so 1.4 million jobs added in august what do you mean by the beginning of next year how are we going to have a 4.4% unemployment rate by the beginning of next year. How are you going to cut it in half right now? Because a vaccine still wouldn't very... Oh, God, dude. Just as you mentioned, the unemployment rate down... I really hate when politicians don't have to explain themselves. It's, it's infuriating. At looking right now in the current trajectory, what do you think it'll be by election day? Um, I, I think you're going to see it continue to go down. Uh, we're going to have one more uh, employment number this month that you're going to see. I think you're going to see another good number. You're going to see a phenomenal third quarter GDP. Uh, some people think it's, it's, it's going to be in the neighborhood of 30, 35 uh, percent. Whether it's 25 percent, 30, 35 percent, you're going to see this is the American economy rebounding. This is American business. People know when the government gets out of the way and we let American business work, and with a little support from industries that are hardest to hit, and that's why we all want more legislation, this economy will fully recover, and the president's job... In that's, you know, that's how you know, like, the government works, is when the government gets out of the way of business, except when businesses start to fail, then we bail them out. This is business. It's just how it works, and it has proven success many years. No problem. And my job is not done until everybody gets back to work. Want to go overseas? Nice. The focus is to make sure everybody gets back to work. UBI is going to have to be something at some point because at, at a certain point, and I don't know at what year we're going to reach uh, automation at its full capacity. But to be so focused on getting everybody back to work while we still see so many deaths from COVID is just fucking remarkable. So remarkable. That is his... God damn. Countries still in the Iran nuclear deal say the U.S. doesn't have standing uh, to do snapback sanctions. Can and will the U.S. go alone on this? We will. So let me just say we don't agree with that technical analysis at the U.N. Um, I think our allies understand that selling arms to Iran right now would be perhaps the worst decision that one can do. <laughs> Why We're are we about... asking the Treasury Secretary? 
<laughs> about Iran right now. Why? Did you run out of questions about the economy? Did he already hit every point he needed to? Why the fuck are you asking the Treasury of Secretary about Iran gaining nuclear power right now? The number one country in the Middle East that has created terror around the Middle East. Uh, and the president has determined, one, they're never going to have a nuclear weapon. And two, we're not going to let them hurt their friend, hurt our friends in the area. This was a serious pivot. Like, what the fuck just happened? You were not on that trip to France with the president. That's the focus of the Atlantic uh, piece that has received so much attention in the past few days. Uh, administration pushed back on the record, but unnamed sources confirming parts of that story, at least parts of the account. Have you ever heard the president use any of that language about veterans dead or is it just that they have to make it like five minutes long because like a th or i guess now we're running at seven minutes because like interviewing him less for less than 10 minutes would just seem kind of unprofessional because <laughs> honestly just pivoting into issues that really have nothing to do with his department gonna say it a little bit unprofessional live ever being around him Brad, quite the contrary. This president... And also, like, how many people in, like, Trump's administration and inner circle are they going to be like, did he really say that thing about the troops? <laughs> the military <laughs> in an unbelievable way. He's created more funding bunch of to rebuild goons, the military. Dude. That was one of the things he campaigned on and he delivered. Um, I've been with the president to Arlington on Memorial Day. Let me tell you, I've listened to him there. I've watched mm. him go visit sites there. I've been with him to the anniversary of World War II. It was a very... I just got to play y'all a clip. I'm going to let him continue, but I'm going to play y'all a clip. Emotional experience. So, no, quite the contrary. I think this president has enormous respect for the military and for the generals. And I've, I've been at the tank at the Pentagon with him. I've been at 9-11 at the Pentagon with him. This president respects and supports the U.S. military. Well, the president also says he's against... All right. So we've heard Trump called John McCain a loser. Like that that's that audio in that video is out there. Um there's not really any material proof that we can show that says um what's his face? Donald Trump into said Arlington anything, National Cemetery. Uh, actually about troops. But right here I found something kind of enlightening here from uh, a retweet of Donald Trump Jr.'s book Triggered um, it's fascinating what he, what his book says here when he thinks about the troops. So let's, let's. It was the day before the inauguration and we were driving into Arlington National Cemetery where he was to lay a wreath on the tomb of the unknown soldier. In that moment, I also thought of all the attacks we'd already suffered as a family and about. Do you see how quick that turned? Do you see how quick that turned? It's like 12 seconds into this clip. And he, he's like, I went, I went to Arlington National Cemetery with my father, and we went to honor the troops, and I just started thinking about all the attacks on my family, and all the sacrifices we've had to make since going into the public sector. But like, all the sacrifices we'd have to make to help my father succeed, <laughs> voluntarily giving up a huge chunk of our business and all international deals. <laughs> A businessman getting into politics is exactly like a young man choosing to sign up for the Marines or the Army. Yes. To avoid the appearance yes, this that is we were profiting same. off the office. 
Frankly, it was a big sacrifice, costing us millions and millions of dollars annually. A huge book of business that I had personally built. He is seriously complaining about losing millions of dollars when he was supposed to be thinking about the sacri- Well, he's not supposed to do anything, but this- it's a funny- it's so funny that's where his mind goes when he's at the Arlington Cemetery. When he's surrounded by buried soldiers who sacrifice their lives so that he can profit off the stock market and write too many books. Wow. What a- wow. What a- <laughs> Fucking child, dude. What a child. Oh my god. I just started thinking about my family and all the attacks. God, dude. Oh, wow. Like, his- I, I'm saying it. Like, the whole family could care less about U.S. soldiers. Honestly. It's the cancel culture. It's just a part of elitism, honestly. Do you think it's honestly. right for him to call for the firing of a reporter who has unnamed sources who confirm parts of that story? I really don't know anything about that, so it's just not something I can comment on. Okay, well, uh, he's tweeted about it, and um, obviously he, he says that he wants a reporter who happens to work here at Fox fired. I've, I've been busy on economic issues, to be honest with you. I, I focus on a lot of... <laughs> he allows, like, two questions that have nothing to do with his job. And then when he gets asked about this specific question, he's like, I just work in economics, man. <laughs> a lot of things, and as I said, on the military, I've always heard him to be 150% supportive. I'm just not aware of the, the issues that you're talking about. All right, last thing. Uh, the CBO oh says the national debt will reach about the size of the U.S. economy. <laughs> he literally did that on TV. Oh, Jesus. Oh, of the year. I've interviewed you many times before and asked you about the growing size of the debt. You look at it, it's approaching $27 trillion. Ooh, back to an economics uh, the question. The deficit and the debt concern. You've always said it's, quote, manageable. But after this pandemic, if the president is reelected, would you see a second term? So, uh, honestly, and two, there was reports before, tr before the pandemic, we were seeing $1 trillion being added per year onto our national debt following 2020. That was going to become the new norm. Imagine what it's going to be at now that we've just been spending a fuck ton of money. And our, honestly, honestly, our production is severely down. Our most successful industries right now are social media. And they don't really produce much, like, actual material. It's They produce nothing but data and information and shit posting. So, ah, shit. All right. Um some serious administration plan yeah like i said we were already heading towards one trillion dollars a year before the pandemic yes sir to address the debt i, I would brad uh, i think before we got into COVID, i thought the debt was very manageable we were having extraordinary growth we were creating growth that would pay down the debt over time so unfortunately this china virus Nothing has cost growth. us trillions of dollars and as I've said before, this is like a war. In a war, you got to spend whatever you need to spend. So that's the reason why we've spent $3 trillion. We'd spend another trillion dollars. The speaker wants to just spend unlimited amounts of money. I think uh, the former vice president, <laughs> if he were a... But you just... You just said that you'll do it when you need to. And then you're like, we'll spend money whenever we need to. We're at war. You need to spend as much as you can. But the Democrats just see seem to think we're totally bottomless pockets. They think we just print money. Crazy.
<laughs> elected would have socialist economic policies <laughs> that would take the debt out of control. But there <laughs> yes, the Democrat socialists. There's no yes. question in a second term. The all-powerful socialist back, Democrats. Uh, we, we will focus on this issue. Mr. Secretary, we appreciate oh your time. Oh, my God. What a goon. Remember, his name before he entered uh, politics was the king of foreclosures. All right. So thank you, uh, Mnuchin, for just, I don't know. I don't know. Don't, I'm not thanking you for anything anymore. Um, last but not least, and my favorite. Oh, man. I have a deep love for this man. William Barr speaking to... Uh, what's his face? Wolf Blitz. I'm going to start uh, and get your reaction to what we heard from the President of the United States about you last night. Listen to this. Bill Barr yeah. can go down as the greatest Attorney General in the history of our country, or he can go down as just another guy. It depends. Is it appropriate for the President of the United States to be putting pressure on you in, in the way he clearly did? I don't feel any pressure from that. You don't think he's trying to pressure you into going forward with the indictments and criminal charges and stuff like that? No, that's, you know, when we talk in private, he doesn't talk like that, so. He doesn't talk like that, you privately. Honestly, that's, this is a pretty flimsy question. Like, he's trying to portray Trump as like, uh, you know, saying like, William Barr can either do the right thing or he can do the wrong thing. You know, he's trying to, I don't know, paint Trump as a mob boss, which, you know, he does do those tactics. But it's also true, like, anybody holding positions of power like this could either become great, well-known in history, or uh, well-respected, or you can end up being infamous. Who knows? Um, but it is, I don't know. It's a strange question from Wolf, Wolf Blitzer to open up here. But it's publicly, he is, uh, but is it appropriate for a president of the United States to be speaking like that publicly about the what's city attorney. What, what's, what do you think is inappropriate about what he's Well, saying? let me play another clip. This is what he said three weeks ago or, or so, uh, elaborating. Listen to this. I hope they're not going to be politically bar. correct, and I hope they do what? Because the fact is this was President Obama knew everything. Uh, Vice President Biden, as dumb as he may be, he knew everything, and everybody else knew everything. They spied on my campaign, which is treason. They spied both before and after I won. Bill Barr can go down as the greatest attorney general in the history of our country, or he can go down as just an average guy. It depends on what's going to happen. Okay, that one seemed a little bit more mob bossy, where he's like, if, you know, talking about how Obama and Biden broke the law. So if you know, attorney William Barr does the right thing, he can go down in history, basically is what he's saying. And it sounds like what Trump wants him to do is actually follow through with an investigation or charges. Uh, I just don't see it happening because I feel like the state is too strong to attack elites like that. I think it's just kind of posturing to be like the the whole anti-left thing. It's just a part of the anti-left and keeping up the conspiracy idea that they're trying to take down Trump. Yeah, yeah, okay. I see you smiling, but... Uh, well, I, I sort of responded to that by saying that, uh, you know, if, if I was really concerned about being politically correct, I wouldn't have joined the administration. And also, I held a press conference and said that neither President Obama or Vice President Biden were under investigation.
But is so it that's appropriate? How I, that's how I would respond. But is it appropriate? And you've worked for another president, uh, President George H. W. Bush. Is it appropriate for a president to be urging you to launch criminal investigations against his political opponents? Well, we, he has. I didn't take that as launching a, a criminal investigation. Okay. We're. I mean, I can I can take the I could kind of understand the characterization that Wolf Blitzer is going here going with. Um, he's kind of attacking from an ethics angle. But uh, I don't know. It, I think my my main issue is on the validity of the whole like legality of it. Like that's just something that the Republicans have disputed. And if there was actual any um, truth in that nugget, I feel like actual investigations, charges, and the like would be proceeding because laws were broken. If Trump is going to be held accountable to an extent with the House of Representatives, then why wouldn't that happen also with you know former presidents or former uh, FBI agents? So we're reviewing the Russia Gate thing, and I think he's interested in the results of it. But I didn't think it was appropriate for either uh, Vice President reviewing Biden the Russian or uh, Camilla Harris to call for. How vague can you be reviewing the Russiagate thing? The charging of a police officer before that matter is reviewed and all the facts are in. Are we, we're going to get to that. That's, let me, let, let me just unfair. follow up on this. Uh, is it appropriate, though, for the sitting president to be accusing his predecessor, President Obama, and uh, former Vice President Biden of committing treason? Well. Treason is a legal term. I think he's using it colloquially. To commit treason, you actually have to have a state of war. It's, it's pretty smooth to say colloquially rather than wrongfully. Like Trump's actually not using treason in the way that he should. Or uh, with a foreign enemy. Barr's got a nice finesse uh, when he But I think he Trump. feels that they uh, were involved in an injustice. And if he feels that, he can say it. Are they under criminal investigation? I, who? Are they under criminal investigation? I, I already said, I've said that they're not under criminal right, so But the president is accusing them uh, of, uh, of criminal investigation. Are, uh, he's, he wants them to be under criminal investigation because he says they committed treason. You're, you're talking about uh, Vice President Biden? And Vice, Vice President Biden and the, pre and the former yeah, president. Yeah, I said, Biden. I held a press conference and, and you said, said they were not. All right, let's talk about uh, Friday. Uh, Mark 60 days before the election and the tradition in the Justice Department is you don't go forward with uh, charges against individuals that could be seen as politically uh, inappropriate or politically uh, against opponents. Are you going to honor that tradition? I put out the guidance that has always been put out by the Department of Justice and I'll abide by it. What is that guidance? That guidance is people shouldn't do things for political reasons. So will you honor that? that yes. That? You will honor that. Uh, the, the perception is that the Justice Department uh, potentially, if they weren't to honor that, could uh, be seen as interfering in the election. Well, that, you know, I, as I said, I will, as I said, I, I will uh, handle these cases as appropriate. And uh, I do not think anything uh, that we do in the Durham investigation, I assume that's what you're talking right. about, uh, is going to uh, be affecting the election. So you don't think there'll be charges uh, in the Durham investigation 60 days before the election? Well, the 60 days is, is not part of the rule. Uh, but but I, I said that I don't think anything we're going to do uh, would violate our policy, be consistent with our policy. Now let's turn to uh, Kenosha. Uh, you and the president were there yesterday. It's like uh, rapid-fire uh, questions on him. It's too, it's too bad I'm not really familiar with the, uh, the Durham situation, but uh, I like Wolf Blitzer just... All right, next question. Get him.
clearly struggling in the aftermath of what happened to Jacob Blake, who was shot seven times in the back by a police officer. Uh, neither you, neither you, uh, nor the president had a chance to meet with him, uh, uh, or to meet with him or his family, for that matter. What would what would be your message to them? To who? To the Blake family. I guess uh, my message to them would be what it would be to all Americans, which is uh, in cases where. Uh, it's possible or there's concern over excessive force. We have a process in this country to make that determination. And it involves <laughs> initial... Trust the process. That's what he has. That's the, that's the information he has for the Jacob Blake family. ...the state looking at it and also the federal government. And we are investigating it. And uh, that should uh, follow due process and be fair to everybody, including the police officer. And uh, violence is not appropriate. Our justice system has to respond uh, to, uh, you know, analysis, reasoned analysis, not mob violence. So uh, you testified that you think uh, you understand the conversations, this is when you were testifying before Congress, that black parents have with their children about racism in this country. Uh, how do you think African-American parents around the country explain to their kids uh, what exactly happened to Jacob Blake, for example, uh, and why that police officer had his knee on George Floyd's neck for almost nine minutes. Yeah, well, I'm not going to talk about Blake, the Blake case. Uh, why not? Because I think it's different than the Floyd case. What's different? Well, uh, Floyd was already subdued, incapacitated, in handcuffs, and was not armed. Uh, in, the, in, in the Jacob case, he was in the midst of committing a felony, and he was armed. So uh, that's a big difference. His, From the his, standpoint... His is he not ask? Why isn't he asking him what felony? Or is that a part of his warrant charge? Um, and then there's also just so much conflicting about whether or not he was armed. He says he wasn't armed. Well, I think there may have been a knife in the car, but he wasn't armed when he was shot. Well, the, that's what his family and his lawyer said. I, I, I stated what I believe is. To, to be the difference, and that's why I don't want to. I don't want. I don't want. I don't want. I don't want to talk about them as if they're interchangeable. Okay. Now I. Th I, I did say that uh, I do. Th I, okay. Think that there appears to be a phenomenon in the country where African Americans feel that they're treated. But the thing is, is that they do share a correlation of excessive force, and that's why they. He wasn't trying to interchange them, but he's trying to keep them within the same topic of discussion. And, you know, William Barr here sets pretty firmly that he doesn't see the Jacob Blake case as um, unjustified as the George Floyd case. That's it. But the Jacob Blake case really hasn't expanded enough, and it's just going to get buried in the news cycle. And it just seems like the right has already come to their consensus that, you know, he was an armed... Uh, suspect that also had warrants and a criminal background so um, what's there really to dispute when they're stopped by police I just I just want to remind you seven shots like seven shots in the back like I don't really care what you did for the most part um, seven shots in the back seems pretty excessive if we're trying to bring people out alive in most situations it sounds like you're not really trying to bring someone out alive and the thing about the video too is is i, I don't want to go back and watch it but i kind of remember the cop looking backwards before he actually fired into jacob blake not necessarily looking at any weapon that blake had
uh, as suspects before they're treated as citizens. Uh, I don't think that that necessarily reflects some uh, deep-seated uh, uh, racism in, in police departments or in most police officers. I think uh, the same kind of behavior uh, is uh, done by African-American police officers. I think there are stereotypes. I like how he kind of pivoted and said, well, I don't think like implicit bias is a problem in all police officers, but I do think it's a problem even in African-American police officers. So, I mean, like, that was so confusing. So I feel like at the same time he conceded the point that implicit bias is a problem inside police officers, um, while also at the same time saying it's not that big of a problem. <sighs> but I listened to a new podcast today as well called The Gist, and it went over racism in a simulation, and it uh, hosted a uh, scientist. Just look it up. I'm not I'm not a memory bank. Just look it up. The gist. Um, and he was talking about how he goes through implicit bias trainings with many departments. And usually his training takes multiple days and multiple hours. And sometimes the police only want to go through like some bits of it and just kind of get the check mark on what well, we did some of the training. But anyways, he's already been doing the studying and has found uh, through specific situational testing that there are implicit biases automatically when cops are interacting with people that your gender the your color of your skin probably your height your the size of your body many factors will go into a cop's interactions with you and i think it always depends situationally it just seems to appear that black people are, are treat all treated the same when met by police officers and that usually means excessive force so i think people operate very frequently according to stereotypes and i think it takes extra precaution in the you know, on the part of law enforcement all right well he, he he did admit there that people react to other people using stereotypes so he's aware of implicit bias but he's not going to call it that but I guess, you know, terminology really isn't that important as long as, well, and that's, honestly, it's the kind of terminology they actually use inside police departments, so that's kind of foolish not to use it. But he, at least he had the conscious awareness to say that people judge other people by stereotypes, and that stereotypes can have a massive effect on how we treat each other. So I think that's an important point for Americans to start really reflecting and being like, where do my stereotypes tend to harm my interactions with others and such and such. Enforcement to make sure we don't reduce people to stereotypes. We treat them as individuals. Because on this program, uh, Jacob Blake Sr., the father, uh, said there were two justice systems in our country, one that shot his son seven times in the back and one that let the 17-year-old the white gunman walk away after shooting and killing two people. Your, re your reaction? Well, I think the, the gunman escaped and uh, the government so he's admitting that Kyle Rittenhouse ran from the law. We're going to have to remember that. William Barr says Kyle Rittenhouse ran from the law. I do remember seeing a video, though, that he did go up to the police uh, vehicles, the massive tanks that they had, and saying that he had shot three people. He did. And then they proceeded to tell him that he couldn't get too close to them, and they kept telling him to back off, go away, shoo, scram. 
And so what did he do? He went home. Um, he did probably have the opportunity to um, turn himself into a local police station nearby because I'm sure there's at least still some cops in there for intake, right? But he didn't. He went all the way home. Maybe, maybe not, hoping that the whole thing would blow over. But the thing is, though, is that after he was identified <laughs> by online, the, the online social media crew, um, after he was identified, that's when he then turned himself into his local police. And then uh, Wisconsin then sent out their arrest warrant and arrested him. That's very different than what he is already saying, that he escaped. There seems to be, like, for one, he tried to tell the cops first at the scene of the crime, and they ignored him and told him to go away. We don't have time for this. We're dispersing protesters, motherfucker. And then so he's like, okay, maybe I'll just go home, and nobody will know that I shot three people. I don't know. And then he woke up in the morning, found out that he got caught, that people already knew who he was, and so he did the only right thing he could do in that situation, which was continue to turn himself in. Um, and that's what's completely crazy with uh, Jacob Blake's case, because he separate he allegedly separated uh, two people from fighting, got tased, and then went to go get in his car to maybe take his kids home, and was shot seven times in the back. So the cops, I don't know. They are two different situations. ...of uh, Wisconsin is seeking his extradition. But are there two justice systems here in the United States? No, I don't think there are two justice systems. Let's, you know, I, I think the narrative that, uh, there's a, that the police are uh, you know, epidemic of shooting unarmed black men is simply a false narrative. Uh, and also the narrative that that's based on race. The fact of the matter is it's very rare for an unarmed African-American to be shot by a white police officer. There were 10 cases last year. Six of them, the, uh, the suspect was attacking the police officer physically. So these are rare things compared. Ah, oh, but excessive force isn't. And we, in this country, have more deaths by cop than anybody else. And uh, you don't, and cops have shown that they don't have to shoot anybody to kill anybody. Um, I think his Dave is, name is Dave Prude. Um, Elijah McClain, George Floyd. Um, oh, I can't remember his name. Damn. He, his story just came out recently where they held him down on the airport tarmac and he basically, uh, you know, suffered burn injuries from the heat of it and was suffocated. So, uh, there's more than one ways for a cop to kill somebody, is what I'm saying. Eric Gardner, chokehold. Freddie Gray, Freddie Gray with uh, the police vehicle. Um, he hit his head on the protective glass that is inside the police vehicle. There's many ways. There's so many ways. So thousand young to just only count the the shooting of unarmed is uh, ridiculous. And also, you know, sometimes you gotta wonder how many people they shoot that have concealed carries, right? And they're allowed to have weapons, and then they just get marked as armed, even though they never drew their weapon. You gotta wonder if there's those, those cases. You have no idea. Black men who are killed every year. Because you, you've said you don't believe there's systemic racism 
in the justice and our in our justice system in the in, among the police but you did say this you, you did say i do think it is a widespread phenomenon that african-american males in particular are treated with extra suspicion and maybe not given the benefit of the doubt that's what i just i think the thing is though is that since the 60s you know and the, the dog whistling's piling on i think implicit bias has gone the way to have systemic racism by completing white supremacy and implicit bias in lawmakers in the judges in the juries in the citizens by having those uh ideas in your head is enough to have systemic racism because you have people with those implicit biases and ideas in their heads then in positions of power to enact upon other people so you don't need actual policies or systemic racism all you need is the right people in power all right, Thank but you. doesn't that sound like systemic racism? No, to me the word systemic means that it that that it's built into the institution, uh, and I don't think that's true. I think our institutions have been reformed in the past sixty years, and if anything has been built in, it's a bias to non-discrimination and safeguards against. I mean, there still is systemic racism, and I'm not going to be able to get into that right now. Maybe we can have long-form discussions on many other things since there's you know only a limited amount of time. It's that. But systemic racism in the United States is real. Uh, and so uh, that's what I'm reacting to on systemic. And also I think we have to be a little careful about throwing the idea of racism yeah. around. Let's Ra racism uh, usually means, you know, that I believe that because of your race, you're a lesser human being than me. And That's white supremacy. Racism is just kind of stereotyping people to um, lesser degrees. I don't think it necessarily has to deal with like being better than somebody because like I've seen the phenomenon Jesse Lee Peterson is racist against black people so he obviously doesn't see himself superior to being black because he is black he even says that he's black and he's slow as if those two things are correlated to each other so you, you don't have to have supremacy to be racist to be racist is just to see somebody just not worthy at all I think there and are people in the United States that feel well. that way, so. uh, but I don't think it is as common as people suggest. And I think we have safeguards to ensure that it doesn't really have an effect uh, to, to someone's future. I think we've made a lot of progress in the past 60 years. I think that's also very fascinating is that we, um, a lot of progress that's taken over almost 200 years since freeing the slaves. And then they had Jim, Gro Jim Crow and segregation. But then I guess everything was okay when they were allowed to have jobs without being discriminated against. And since then, everything's just been peachy keen as far as race relations go in America. Sure. Okay. To listen to, 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 listen to the American left nowadays, you'd think we've gotten nowhere after uh, all... Well, there's no doubt there's been a lot of... I mean, yeah, we've done things for the black community, but we—I feel like every time we take five steps forward, there's ten steps back. Progress, but do you think black people are treated differently by law enforcement than white people? I think there are some situations where statistics would su suggest that they they are treated differently, but I don't think that that's necessarily racism. For this, what is well, it? you know, like didn't Jesse Jackson say that when he looks behind him and he sees? a group of young black males walking behind him, he's more scared than when he sees a group of white youths walking behind him. So he's going with the, it's a cultural problem. They are policed more because of their culture. 
again, that just sounds kind of racist to me because culture seems to like be only applicable to skin color and we're not necessarily looking at their like the full demographic of the people living in these in these uh areas where the police are really prevalent so um ignorance and seems to be a bit of ignorance does that make him a racist does that make him a racist and that's funny that's also funny is that like black people can't because jesse jackson said that he doesn't trust black people you can't call him racist because he's 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 king black you know so go ahead say it and I like how he put Wolf Blitzer in that position where he has to say yes or no whether or not Jesse Jackson is. <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> but it, it, it sounds if like there are two systems, one for blacks and <clears throat> for whites, that sounds like there's still racism in the justice system. Well, no, I, I think we have to make sure that you know stereotypes do not govern our actions in the justice system. And I think police departments do a pretty good job of of trying to police against that and I think progress there's more progress that can be made and more reform and, and we're going about that but the demonization of the police and the idea that this is so widespread and epidemic is simply wrong all right um, he did his best he did his best um, I don't agree obviously um, but Let's you know his argument that. is merely just to make sure that nothing really fundamentally changes for the police that they don't have to do any more implicit bias training than they already do all right so oh jeff mack live with some protests go check them out oh wait i'm not recording i'm, o I'm only recording this so go check out the jeff mack channel he uh streams various other streamers who are at protests and it's pretty it's pretty cool shit Let's talk a little bit about uh, what the president also said just a little while ago about North Carolina's absentee voting system. He said, and I'm quoting him right now, so let them send it in and let them go vote. And if the system is as good as they say it is, then obviously they won't be able to vote. That sounds like he's actually encouraging people to commit a crime, to vote twice. I'm sorry, you'll have to read that again. All right, this is what he said. <laughs> so let them send them. So I don't even think... He was paying attention. What was he thinking in that time that he read that off? <laughs> Let them send it in, these, the, the vote, the uh, email, the, the, the voting by mail. And let them go vote the ballot. Let them send in the ballot and then let them go vote. And if the system is as good as they say it is, then obviously they won't be able to vote. Uh, it sounds like he's encouraging people to break the law and try to vote twice. Well, I, I don't know exactly what he was saying, but it seems to me what he's saying is he's trying to make the point that... I like how he, like, reads him off a quote of what Trump says, practically verbatim, and then says, well, I don't know exactly what he said, but I can believe what I think he was saying off of what you were saying. <laughs> uh, but let, let's be honest here. From podcast to podcast-y, I don't audience um the they they have meetings they they figure out what their slogans are they figure out what their mission statements are they have contact so william barr knows exactly what trump is uh trying quote unquote to say to the american people but not what he actually says in these uh backroom meetings where we can't see uh, the ability to monitor this system is, is, is not good, and, and if it was so good, 
If you tried to vote a second time, you would be caught if you voted in person. That, that would be illegal lose. if they That's did so that. Funny. Mailed- it's so funny because he's, he's like, what Trump is trying to say is that if you test, if you, if, if, if you test our laws and then our laws work and our rules work, then you got nothing to worry about. But if you, if, if you try to break our laws and you do, then obviously the system's broken. in a ballot and then actually showed up uh, to vote in person uh, that would be but we, we got to be honest too and crystal clear but this administration is advocating that uh, United States citizens break the law by sending in multiple ballots which is ultimately just going to gunk up more of our electorate system this is definitely the least legitimate election we are going to see or, or we have seen in our lifetimes um, I don't know how this doesn't delegitimize the entire state, but let's just keep this fucking snowball of death rolling. I don't know what the law in the particular state says. You can't vote twice. Well, I don't know what the law in the particular state says and when that vote becomes final. Is there any state that says you can vote twice? Yeah, is there any state that says you can vote twice? I thought that was like against like federal law. Well, is that not some, a felony? I, you know, maybe that you can change your vote up to a particular time. I don't know what the law That's is. So I'm not going to offer. He was saying test well, the you, system. You know, well, he if you know what believe, he's saying, why he are you asking me ma- what he's saying? He doesn't believe in the mail-in voting. You're, you're the attorney general of the United States. Why don't you? Yeah. He's asking you if, like, do you understand the guy you've been protecting and representing is breaking, is asking civilians to break the law. And he's like, I'm not familiar with the law. And he's like, you're the attorney general of the Department of Justice. And he's like, yeah, well, you know what, you know what he's saying. Why are you asking me? Uh, you know, he said, uh, amazing. If you expand mail-in voting. This is the president. This is, you know, it's th- reckless. Well, this is a, you know, sort of cheap talk to get around the fundamental problem, which is the bipartisan commission chaired by Jimmy Carter and James Baker said back in 2009 that mail-in voting is fraught with the risk of fraud and coercion. But since then, and, there and until this administration, no, well, let me talk. Yeah, please. Uh, and but like, I'm pretty sure like actual voter fraud is at like point zero 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 six. It's a really low percentage. It's not even at one percent. Um, since this, since that time, there've been in the newspapers, in networks, academic studies saying it is open to fraud and coercion. The only time the narrative changed is after this administration came in. And that's the thing is that like actual uh, voter fraud is very low while um, voter undercount is high. So most of the time ballots not being received or counted because of mistakes on the ballots that's actually a bigger problem than voter fraud. Just, just laying that out there, do your own research. But, uh, but elections that have been held yeah. with mail have found substantial fraud. This is the most voters. fucked election For example, ever. we indicted someone in Texas, 1,700 ballots collected he ma- from people who <laughs> ha- could vote. He made them out and voted for Voter fraud is so bad, I have an anecdotal one case for you of a guy in Texas. That's how bad voter fraud is. A guy in Texas. The person he wanted to. Okay? Because that kind of thing happens with mail-in ballots. And everyone knows But that. there are individual uh, cases. But as far as widespread fraud, 
we haven't seen that since. Uh, well, we have. We haven't had the kind of widespread use of mail-in ballots as being proposed. We've had absentee ballots from people who request them from a specific address. Now, what we're talking about is mailing them to everyone on the voter list when everyone knows those voter lists are inaccurate. Yeah, but we could have had like we had the time to actually make sure they were as updated as they could be, right? Because by having like preliminary voter registration before receiving mail-in ballots all across the nation, we could have done that. But instead, he's like, no, just sign up for absentee, which, you know, instead of promoting, you know, all the states then should be like, hey, you guys should do absentee ballots because that's apparently the only thing this administration is accepting. But here's the issue to the mail, the absentee ballots is it could take a lot of time to receive them especially the more you order. So th they're literally trying to find any and every way they can to slow and gunk up the machine to make sure that this is the worst election we can possibly have. <sighs> People who should get them don't get them, which is what has been one of the major complaints in yep. the states that have tried Yep, he even admitted it. Tried this in, in municipal elections. And... Uh, People who get them are not the right people. They're people who have replaced the, the previous occupant, and they can make them out. And sometimes multiple ballots come to the same address with a whole genera several generations of occupants. Do you think that's a way to run a vote? Well, uh, the only thing I'm saying is that so far we haven't seen widespread fraud. But you so far we haven't tried it. Well, and the point is, a lot of us. <laughs> so far we haven't tried widespread voter fraud. <laughs> there are several states that only have mail-in voting, including a Republican Well, this is like playing with fire. This is playing with fire. We're a very closely divided country here. And if people have to have confidence in the results of the election and the legitimacy of the government, and people trying to change the rules to this, to this methodology, which... Wow. I like that, that he is saying that, like, right now Wolf Blitzer is trying to legitimize our elections by saying, like, bringing up these criticisms is just polarizing us further. <laughs> Dude, like, you guys are in the position of power where you could have actually done a lot more for the United States Postal Service, you could have done more for the actual electorate system. But, you know, we've, we, we see exactly where the efforts are going. It's plain as day. It's crazy. As a matter of logic, is very open to fraud and coercion, is reckless and dangerous. And the people are playing with fire. Well, I, I will point out there are five states that only have mail-in voting, including Utah and Colorado, Washington State, Oregon, uh, Hawaii. And they've, they've reported over the years they've had virtually no problems. But who's trying to change the rules right now? I would say the people who want to go to mass mail-in ballots. But you understand why. There is a coronavirus pandemic, <laughs> right. and there are a lot of people, uh, potentially, if they waited long lines uh, when they go to the polls, uh, and they, could get, they could get sick, especially older people or people with underlying conditions. As a result, a lot of people want to change the rules so they don't have to go wait right. long people, lines. Well, they don't have to touch all the... And the appropriate way to deal with that is, number one, arrangements at the polls that protect people which can be done and number two <laughs> people who are we can spend a ton of money to make sure that we sanitize and clean the polls and make sure we have enough poll workers because we don't even have that but we can spend that money to make sure going to the polls is safe but we can't do it to make sure that people can just mail in vote not risk their lives for a democracy that is just putting up two bullshit candidates to kind of keep us a little bit docile for just a little bit longer 
Oh my goodness. Or have pre-existing conditions and are particularly vulnerable can get an absentee ballot. I have no problem with people. I, I voted by absentee ballot, not by mail. I actually went to the office. A government that doesn't go out of its way to make sure that people can vote and that the voting is legitimate, um, this, it's, it's broken. It's broken. But absentee ballots are fine. All right, let's move on and talk a little bit about uh, another suggestion. You've said you were worried that a foreign country could send thousands of fake ballots thousands of fake ballots to people and it might be impossible <laughs> to detect. What are you basing that on? I'm basing that, as I've said repeatedly, I'm basing that on logic. Pardon? <laughs> logic. Yeah. But have you seen any of <laughs> that, that, that one stunned Wolf. That one even stunned Wolf. He was just like, wait. He literally just answered a question by, he's like, how do you know uh, Russians are going to send thousands of ballots into America. Logic. Okay. Moving on. Evidence that a foreign country is trying to interfere no, I'm in saying that people, way. No, I'm saying I people are creating. concerned about foreign influence, and if we use a ballot system with the, with the system that, some, you know, that states are just now trying to adopt, it does leave open the possibility of counterfeiting counterfeiting ballots, and either so, by someone so, here or so someone So you think overseas. a foreign country could do that? I think anyone could do it. Have you seen any evidence that they're trying to do that? No, but most things can be counterfeited. That's why we go to the trouble of, you know, counter, uh, of uh, making our money the way we make it. Now, you know, should we have Minnesota print up our money on, on you know, regular parchment paper? The I fuck are you talking about US right now? Intelligence officials have said they see no information or intelligence in foreign countries, whether Russia or yeah, China. Yeah, well, you asked the question, but I've, I've answered that question several times. I said, no, I don't have any uh, information because this is the first time we've tried such a thing. During your tenure as Attorney General of the United States, how many indictments have you brought against people committing voter fraud? I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but several. <laughs> I know. Like a hand. <laughs> He's like voter fraud is such a problem and we're we're just set up for rampant voter fraud and um, Wolf then comes at him with well, what are the numbers looking like? Bill Barr Department of Justice the guy who should be keeping track of all crime rates Goes I don't know the numbers on voter fraud, but I know it's a problem I'm full I, I can't I, I don't how can you know it's a problem without doing your research but several doesn't sound like too many. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know how many we have. I know there are a number of investigations right now. Some if there are a number of investigations right now, can we get that number? Very big ones in states. The president also has said, and I'm quoting him directly, that he's ready to send sheriffs, law enforcement, and U.S. attorneys to polling places on election day. You're the attorney general. Can the president do that legally? Uh, it depends if he's responding to a particular criminal threat. He literally wants he his own, like, wants to do it. President a, Trump literally wants his own, like, police service that he can send wherever he wants. I, I, don't, I, I didn't hear him say that. The uh, acting uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, said on CNN, uh, we don't have any authority to do that. Right. That's what he specifically said. Well, I'm saying, Is he right? Well, if there was, no, if there was a specific investigative a danger that we that we detected some problem and risk. Has he yes, raised we, that possibility with you to send 
Justice Department, no. law enforcement no. to polling places on Election Day, November 3rd? No. As a precaution? No. But sometimes they have been in the past to enforce civil rights. Because he said we're going to send sheriffs well, law enforcement. Well, we, we've, we've done so in the past to enforce civil rights to make sure that people were not being uh, harassed and, and there was no suppression of vote against African Americans. Let's talk a little bit about uh, foreign interference, uh, Russia specifically. The top uh, elections official in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, uh, our Office of National Intelligence, revealed publicly last month that Russia is working to help President Trump get elected while both China and Iran prefer Joe Biden to win. First of all, do you accept that Russia is once again interfering in the U.S. presidential election? I accept that there, there, there's some preliminary activity that suggests that they might try again. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's all I'm saying. You think that Russia is, you see, you've seen that intelligence. It, it, wouldn't surprise, Russia, it wouldn't surprise me if Russia tries something again of the same general genre of before. I mean, this influence basically is two kinds of things. It's hack and dump. You get into someone's mail system and then try to disclose embarrassing documents. Wouldn't surprise me if they try something like that, or any other country tries it. The other way is, you know. Yeah, I mean, this is. I hate this conversation too. I'm already getting extremely bored from it. Um, every country, um, quote unquote, interferes. Every country interacts in their uh, and every other country's elections or plays a power. Like all of it, all of that geopolitics is completely a thing, and of course. Uh, the United States isn't even very like quiet about the regime changes that we've made throughout like the early 1900s. So uh, through the almost entire 1900s, we still do it like Saddam Hussein, Gaddafi. There's there's so many plays that we have that tear down regimes and install ones that are more friendly to our interests. Why would no other country be doing the same? Like. I hate this conversation. It's so boring. I feel like every time people are like, do you think blah, blah, blah is interfering in our elections? It should be like, no shit, Sherlock. Next question. You know, social media and putting things out on social media. Because the intelligence community says Russia, China, and Iran are seeking to interfere in the U.S. presidential election. For Why wouldn't the European Union? You know, like, I'm sure they have interest in which president they want because the European Union might, like, really depend on... Uh, the United States not being dickheads about the Paris Climate Agreement, or uh, what was the other one? The fucking trans partner, the TPP, which, you know, I don't like the TPP, but I'm sure the EU would like a president that's actually willing to work with them. So I'm sure that they're interfering in our elections a bit. But mostly, they want to sow dissent in our country, exacerbate racial tensions, etc., like that. Of those three countries that the intelligence community has pointed to, Russia, China, and Iran. But, I mean, Russia, China, and Iran, that's just hot-button axis of evil talk, talking points. So, Which is the most assertive, the most aggressive in this area? I believe it's China. Which one? China. China more than Russia right now? Yes. Why do you say that? Because I've seen the intelligence. That's what I've concluded. What are they trying to do? Well, I'm not going to discuss that to this. But they're trying to help who, who win? I'm not going to get into that. More aggressive than Russia. That's fascinating. Yes. Because the uh, U.S. intelligence community... You're trying to influence the United States? Yes. Yeah. I'm just trying to be precise on that, uh, on that area. Uh, so William Barr's like, yep, China's interfering. So, like, if it was a Democrat sitting in that seat, he would be like, I'm, I'm worried about Russia. 
And if a Republican sits in that seat, he's like, ah, I worry about China. And, and one of the most explosive revelations uh, from the recently submitted Senate Intelligence Committee, which is bipartisan, Republicans and Democrats, they report on Russian interference in the 2016 election, and they say that, that they had confirmation that the Russians did interfere. They cite the case of Paul Manafort, who was the Trump campaign chairman, uh, was working directly with someone the U.S. intelligence community considered to be a Russian intelligence officer. Do you accept that? I, I accept that Russia made some efforts to influence the election. I'm not, I wouldn't say I necessarily accept but that. But do you agree with what the Senate Intelligence Committee concluded, that Russia did directly interfere in the 2016 presidential election with the goal of helping Donald Trump? Based on the intelligence I've seen, I don't dispute an assessment, an assessment that they attempted to interfere. He didn't even have to answer that whole question before the uh, the video ended because I think the more important question there was, um, so they did interfere. Now that we know that, is it also true to the intelligence report that Paul Manafort was a Russian intelligence officer? Because that seems closer to treason than Obama having his uh, FBI investigate Trump for possible treason. But, hey, what do I know? I'm just a dude in a box on a rotting planet. Thank you for joining me on Tox News, where it wasn't toxic enough. Not today. Nope. I'm still feeling pretty, uh, pretty vigorous and healthy. So I guess, you know, they couldn't tear me down today. No, sir. And don't let them tear you down. Go over to uh, Jeff Mack and uh, watch some of the protests live as they happen. And show some support in the live chat because there's a lot of Trumpers in there. And they say a lot of disgusting, mean things. So if you can get in there and spread some cat memes and K-pop or whatever it is the fuck you're into, go do that. Jeff Mack, YouTube, do it. Fuck you. Uh, thanks for joining me. Um, here's some more Polygon Wonderland off of uh, Polygon Wonderland by King Gizzard. And the Lizard Wizard. Thank you for joining me.